This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. Did you ever have one of those brain tingles? Have you seen the ASMR videos that make your brain feel all sparkly? This is all new to me. But we are going to explore autonomous sensory meridian response, ASMR, today. Over 13 million people have had their brains tingled on the YouTube. Why? Because it feels good and it helps you relax? all the info on the way. First, we're going to talk about codependency. And you're going to love this because it's not what you think it is. It's not even a thing. Codependency has confused me since 1985 when my very first friend went to rehab and his sister brought me some Hazelden books to read. Today, Robert Weiss, a relationship specialist, is here with a new book called Pro-Dependence. But first, I tried to find a simple definition for codependency. Uh, you want the 1985 version, 1989 version, 1992 version, 1997 version, or that's part of the problem? I started this journey in 1985, so please not that um, description because I did not understand it. Give me the most current well, description, if it exists. I don't think there is one. I mean, that's the problem. If you ask 15 different people what codependency is, you'll get 15 different answers. And, you know, we've never had a diagnosis. It's never been a formal thing. It's more of a, it was more of a cultural phenomenon that came through in the late 80s and 90s and swept women up in a big way, but really didn't land them anywhere. What do you mean women? Uh, in particular, women were very attracted to the message of codependency. And, and you have to understand that 90%, 95% of self-help books are bought by women. So it's not like any cultural phenomenon that happens related to mental health has anything to do with men. Oh, okay. Well, th- it struck such a chord because I guess there were so many women who responded to the idea of they lost their own happiness taking care of someone else's. Yes. Well, I think it's more than that. I think that we were coming out of a period in the 1970s where women were seeking their own ground in the workplace, and they were feeling very much like they had to fight like men to get ahead. And the idea of being dependent on a man or responsible to a man was not a very appealing concept to a woman in 1980 who wanted her freedom. I mean, just watch 9 to 5 if you want to see what that looks like. Codependency was a, it was originally an idea that was conceived of for alcohol and drug treatment in a way to look at the partners and spouses of people involved with alcoholics. That's what the idea came from. But it quickly spread out to, into this sort of cultural phenomenon in the 86, 87, 88, where women and men were seeing themselves as being kind of needy and clingy and overly dependent, and, and that was a bad thing. So when we're talking about codependency, the partners or the children of people who are alcoholics, what does it mean in that context? Codependency was a made-up word that came out of a word called co-addiction. And in that context, co-addiction meant that a spouse was addicted to, let's say the spouse of an alcoholic, she or he was addicted to the alcohol too. So originally the idea was, and I like this idea, that if your husband or wife is an alcoholic or drug addict, that you kind of get obsessed with or 
if you will, addicted to the alcohol, too, because you have your own obsession with the person's drinking. But codependency did two things. It took the word addiction out, which kind of made it more palatable for everybody else. And at the same time, it also pointed the person away from being addicted to the substance and said, oh, no, 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 as a partner, you're addicted to your husband or wife. You're addicted to that person. And the idea of being addicted to a person just never made sense to me. And the bottom line about codependency is it doesn't work. When I say to a loving partner of an alcoholic or drug addict, I know you've been working three jobs, I know that you've been taking care of this family yourself, even though your man is lying around drinking and, and loaded and out of it. I know that you've been doing everything you can. You've gained 20 pounds, you've given up your exercise, you're angry all the time because you're doing everything you can to rescue this family. And then you go to therapy and the therapist says, let's talk about what's wrong with you. And I can't tell you how much partners resent that. So we are talking to Robert Weiss, author of Seeking Integrity and author of Pro-Dependence. And I am so grateful after all these many years, because I started off by saying I've read so many books about codependency. It's never really wrong, true to me. And now I know it's just a made up word. Oh, well, it was always a made up word. But what's important is it was never a diagnosis, meaning that the psychiatric community never said, oh, yeah, this is a thing. (laughs) And when you have something that hasn't been formally laid out and then you have 150 books written about it, everybody has a different version. So that's really why I went went in and wrote pro-dependence, because I thought it was time to clarify and re-distinguish the ways that we treat partners of addicts. What is pro-dependence? Pro-dependence is a very different way of looking at a partner. In essence, what codependency said is, if you marry an alcoholic or drug addict, there's probably something wrong with you. And when that person starts to drink and emotionally act out because they're an addict, you too are going to act out all of the stuff that you grew up with in childhood. And you need to work through the things that you grew up with in childhood in order to become less reactive and be able to tolerate situations like this better. In other words, if you married an addict, you're involved with an addict, you too have issues and you've got to work through them, is what codependency said. And I can't think of a more difficult message to meet someone who's in the middle of a crisis. So prodependence simply says, hey, look, whatever you've done to love an addict, I don't care if you brought them a bottle home at night so they wouldn't get in the car and drive to the bar and drive drunk. You've helped them. Whatever you did to help someone who's broken, you did it out of love. And even if you didn't love in the best way or the most effective way or the most productive way, you still loved. You still stayed with that person. You still did everything you could to try to make it better. And why would I want to blame you for sticking with me, loving me, and taking care of me when I have been a mess for years? I would think I'd want to celebrate you. And so pro-dependence is a celebration of partners to say, hey, you know, you've done the best you can, and thank goodness for you, because you were attached to me and you loved me, and I'm really grateful, and let's now help you refocus on you and take care of you. But we do it without saying there's something wrong with someone for loving, or I know you'll remember this one. I don't believe anyone can love too much. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I read it. I read that one. That's one of the four big ones in codependency is Robin Norwood's Women Who Love Too Much. Why get, you know, if you could love too much, come on over to my house, okay? I, I want you as a friend. You know, you can love in the wrong way. You can love inadequately. You can love unhelpfully. You can love, you know, in a way that causes problems. You can love the wrong person. But don't tell me that you can love too much. Uh, you know, what mother has loved her child too much? It just doesn't exist. Right. So we're moving beyond codependency with this new headline. We'll call it pro-dependency. But still, for these people, 
and it's not just women because men can get into this young people older people too can lose themselves in someone else how do we help them make the shift back i think the problem with codependency was that we said these partners they're like addicts and i know when i treat an addict if you are an alcoholic I have to contain your alcoholic use. I have to confront your alcoholic use. I have to challenge your confused and distorted thinking around drinking that made it okay. And then I have to pretty strongly guide you out of drinking into a different way of life. And if we think of partners as codependents, that means that they're addicts too. And that means confronting them and containing them and challenging their thinking and pushing them. I just don't think that's the best way to help them. Maybe if we form relationships with them that, with partners of, of addicts, that say we love and appreciate the work that they've done, but they haven't done the best job. I mean, they, it's not that they didn't mean to, it's who grew up in high school learning how to love an alcoholic. Who right. taught you? You know, no one knows how to do this right. So I would take that person by the hand and say, you and I are going to help make your life better. And I'm going to support you in using your love and using your care for your family in ways that are more productive. Because what matters is that this gets better. And if you want to look at yourself or something about your childhood or your past, we can do that later. Right now we have a big crisis in front of us, which is this person who's been drinking and using, and all of the nightmares caused you. And why don't we focus on that? That's plenty to start with. Can people in these situations that they're in a relationship with someone who uses, can they become addicted to the drama that's created? You know, I don't think that people want drama of that sort in their lives. I think that if you want a drama like that in your life, I suppose you'd marry an active alcoholic or drug addict and then, you know, they'd already be using. In other words, I don't think most people get married or in a committed relationship hoping that their partner is going to fall apart and become an addict. If you want drama, you can find drama to get in a relationship to have drama. I do think that there are people who find that their love is failing. And no matter what they do, they cannot make this person better. They cannot fix this person. And they create a whole lot of drama in the pain that they're in. In other words, what if partners of addicts are acting like crazy people, not because they are crazy people, but because they're in a crazy situation. And maybe when that crazy situation is resolved, they're going to be a lot less crazy. But I would say this to you. Jews don't marry sevens. We have issues. All of us have issues. And if you're married an alcoholic, is it likely you have issues? You might. Might those issues come up during the course of if they become active in their alcoholism? Probably. Everybody ends up acting out their stuff in a crisis. So this is a good opportunity to learn and grow if you choose to. And yes, I have certainly worked with many, many women. This is a big part of my practice. Women who say to me, I don't want to date anymore because every time I date, I date an alcoholic. Every time I date, I date a loser. Every time I date, I date an abusive guy. Well, that's just a woman with a broken picker. <laughs> I mean, I can, you know, it's not that she can't have a healthy relationship. No. It's just she doesn't know how to meet and stay with the right person or she gets too excited about the person she's with emotionally and she doesn't look intellectually at him carefully enough until it's too late. So that's an easy fix. It's a technical fix that requires support. It's a woman who doesn't know how to pick, or a man who doesn't know how to pick the right person. But let's not call them bad names and come up with diagnoses for them simply because they need a little bit of support in learning how to love people better. We are talking to Robert Weiss, author of Prodependence. Is it possible those women who pick the bad guy or the loser or the drinker time after time again, is it possible that they're just comfortable with or familiar with the things that come with that package. Absolutely. As I said, and I said this in Prodependence, twos don't marry sevens. So, you know, if you're an emotional two, you mean you're kind of a mess, you know, and you see that 
perfect nine down at the other end of the room. Well, I got to tell you, that perfect nine, if you're a two, is going to be boring. It's not going to be, he or she is not going to be interesting at all. And by the way, you as a two are too much of a mess for that person who's a nine to be interested in. So we do tend to find our own emotional level, but I think that's exciting. I mean, if I'm a, a four and you're a five, well, maybe together we could become a six. I mean, maybe emotionally together, couples can grow into more, into better emotional health. You know, one of the, one of the backbones of the beliefs that all of this comes from is this idea of attachment that we do best when we thrive in relationship. You know, there, you know as well as I do that there's a single study that says that people are happier alone. So if people come together in couples and in community and we can help those couples and community heal together, that's a different concept than the 80s. You know, codependency was a concept about self-actualization, that you will detach from your partner, you will work on yourself, and you will become a stronger person separate from them. I say, excuse the expression, we're stronger together. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Robert Weiss is our guest. Pro-dependence is the new book and the new idea, really, uh, for people who are in a relationship formerly known as a codependent relationship. If you're, well, they're just in a relationship with an addict. They're in a relationship with someone who uses something. What's the first thing they can do to get on the road to better health for themselves? Well, I think the first thing that, that any partner of an addict can do, and this is the most important message I can give to any partner of an addict, it's not your fault. There's nothing you can do to make that person drink. There's nothing you can do to make that person go out and gamble or have sex or whatever it is they do addictively because when an addict makes that decision, that's their decision. And I think this is one of the primary challenges for partners is they will say, well, if I, maybe if I said this wrong, or if I don't look the right way, or if I say the wrong thing, or if I don't do, then they're going to go out and use. And listen, an addict's going to go out and use if they, they don't have enough Kleenexes. So they're certainly going to, whatever you do is immaterial. But addicts do have a way of manipulating partners into leaving them feel like it's their fault. Because it's easier for me to say, well, I drink because you're a witch than it is for me to really look at my drinking. And so partners really, I think the beginning of it is to begin to separate out, you know what, this isn't my fault, this isn't my responsibility, but there are ways that I can help because I care and I love. And I love him. His name is Robert Weiss. He's a therapist. And you can find more at seekingintegrity.org. That's an online resource for all. Robert Weiss, maybe you've read him in the Times or seen him on OWN. You can also visit robertweissmsw.com. His new book is called Pro-Dependence. Okay, so if you go to YouTube and you search for ASMR, what may pop up is a beautiful blonde woman whispering into a very sensitive microphone. Check out these ASMR videos. They give you chills and they make your head and ears feel all wonky. This sensational sensation is helping people sleep and it's also helping others with autism and anxiety to relax. Dr. Craig Richard is the founder of ASMR University. His book is called Brain Tingles. What are the tingles? The tingles are the sensations that people are feeling in the certain moments. And the brain tingles they're feeling are these light, sparkly, staticky sensations in their brain head or scalp region. And they're enjoyable, and they're associated with a feeling of deep relaxation. All right, I'm not sure I've ever felt these. Have I? You may have. 
I'll describe some top situations that trigger them. Being at a hairdresser. So you know when you get your hair washed and they lean your head back in the sink and they run their fingers through your hair? And then even when they start kind of playing with your hair, if you find any of that process relaxing, then you may be experiencing ASMR. Okay. Is it like goosebumps? Uh, It's like goosebumps in that it's enjoyable. It's different from goosebumps in that there aren't usually goosebumps. And goosebumps are more of an alert response, whether it's a positive emotional response or a negative emotional response, like you're scared. With ASMR, these tingles are deeper. It's like a wave of relaxation spreading throughout your body. And it's definitely more of a positive moment where in the end you just want to kind of maybe lay down and take a nap, which doesn't often happen with chills. Are these good for me? Yeah, so far. It's, and this is why people are seeking them out. There's all these ASMR videos on YouTube that people are watching on a regular basis because it's helping them to relax. It's helping them to de-stress. And they're using it also to help them fall asleep at night, fall asleep at night, because that's a common problem for a lot of people. Wow. All right. I don't have any trouble relaxing, so I've never even heard of these videos, but I can't wait to go see. You know what I bought for a dollar, though, at the Walmart? I bought one of these things that it's like a stick with these silver um, wires coming off, and and they have a little bit of a, a pebble at the end of them, a plastic pebble. Oh, a head tingler. A head tingler. Yeah. Is that ASMR? Yeah, that can be for a lot of people. That is one of the most commonly acknowledged devices that can stimulate it for people is that gentle... So what it looks like is almost like a birdcage with no bottom. Right. And and yeah, and you just stick your head inside it or you push it down over your head and it massages your scalp and it, and it goes right through your hair in this gentle way. And a lot of people report feeling ASMR from doing that. Okay, what's actually happening to my brain, though, when I get the brain tingle? Yeah, no one's figured that out yet. It is likely, though, because it's a pleasurable response, endorphins are probably being stimulated. And because it's a relaxing response that people also call comforting, it's probably releasing oxytocin. And oxytocin is also called the cuddle hormone or the love hormone or the bonding hormone because that's the main neurohormone that's released when people who really care about each other come together and do something meaningful for each other. Whether it's a simple hug or it's playing with each other's hair or it's a mother and an infant or it's best friends. And those are all the situations at which probably ASMR is also being experienced. I'm looking over your information and it says here ASMR is being incorporated into movies, music, and marketing. I don't like that idea too much, I don't think. What's good about it is that these advertisers like Kentucky Fried Chicken, Dove Chocolate, Ikea Furniture, instead of making ads that are shouty and blaring and screaming to get your attention, they're now using these ASMR triggers and these ASMR approaches to make a much more relaxing ad that you're going to tune into and you're going to pay attention to because you're enjoying it rather than there's some kind of fear factor being thrown at you or someone yelling at you to buy their product. So 
so there can be an upside to that incorporation. We're talking to Dr. Richard Craig, the author of Brain Tingles, The Secret to Triggering Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response for Improved Sleep, Stress Relief, and Head-to-Toe Euphoria. So how, how do we trigger it ourselves? How do we take this thing that we think is a good thing, how do we do it ourselves? Yeah, a great initial step is looking and checking out ASMR videos on YouTube. Just putting ASMR into YouTube and you'll get a buffet table of options to watch. And the key thing about when you try that is to treat it like a a buffet of food, which means some of the first ones you sample and try may not do it for you. You may have to sample widely to find that video that you really do find relaxing, just like on a food buffet table, finding Mm -hmm. your favorite food. And then the other way, and this really is the focus of the book, is doing it person to person because most of the scenarios that stimulate ASMR are happening between two people who care about each other. So the book focuses on how parents can utilize ASMR to help soothe infants, to help soothe a distressed child, you know, someone who's in a, in a stressed state. And friends can do it just for the enjoyment of the relaxation. And also spas and health studios could incorporate it as relaxation techniques. Okay. Now, when we say autonomous sensory meridian response, are we talking about the same meridians in, like, acupuncture or Reiki? Well, the the person who coined the term, her name is Jennifer Allen, and she came up with that term in 2010 because the common term for this sensation before that was brain orgasm. (laughs) (laughs) So she was looking for a word that just wasn't so sensational, and she chose that specific word that you just mentioned, meridian, to represent the word orgasm. Because she looked in the dictionary and she saw it meant like a, a peak moment. Okay. And she thought, okay, that's a good word that's, that's not as triggering for people as the word orgasm, but it can allude to something similar. Well, can we have multiple ASMRs? Yeah, yeah. You can uh, watch videos and, you know, there'll be one video that you might watch that will trigger it for a lot of people. And then you can try another video or you can have someone playing with your hair Mm -hmm. or you can have someone then drawing, like tracing letters on your back or whispering to you. And all those will continue to stimulate ASMR as long as that's a trigger that works for you. It's kind of like, you know, eating foods that you enjoy. Right. Can everyone have a braingasm? It doesn't seem so. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of people reporting that they don't experience it, that they try lots of videos, and they try moments in their life where someone plays with their hair or someone touches them really lightly or whispers in their ear, and they don't enjoy that. So it seems that maybe, and we don't know the exact percent, but about 20% of the population probably experience ASMR strongly, and then another percent probably experience it subtly. I think I'm in the subtle category. And what about, you know, could you get hooked on this? Could you be, are people locking themselves in the house watching these videos all the time? Yeah, the strange thing is that you almost can't get addicted to it because if you watch too many ASMR videos or you continuously try to stimulate ASMR, it goes away temporarily. So it almost has this built-in anti-addiction aspect to it, which in the physiology and the pharmacology world is called tolerance. So your body says, hey, take a break from this for a little bit, go do something else, and then maybe when you come back later, you'll be able to experience it again. Talking about the brain and the biology of the brain, this had to serve a purpose at one point, yes? yes? 
What do you think? I think I think it started as a way for infants to be soothed by the appropriate people who care for them. So imagine you're an infant, you've just been born, you don't know anything that's going on, it's a strange world, it's cold, you're hungry. Who are you going to trust? Mm. You're going to trust someone who has a soft, gentle voice, who moves in slow ways, who looks at you in a caring way, who touches you gently. That's going to be your initial stimuli that are going to tell you you can trust this person and then you're going to relax. Because that's the response. When we're around anyone we trust, our response, our physiological response is relaxation. That's what we feel when we trust someone. And so, yeah, I think it did evolve as a way for infants to know who to be soothed by, the appropriate people. And then it's something we carry into our adulthood. It's how we decide who we trust as friends. It's who we decide to trust as strangers. People who look at us in appropriate, caring ways, touch us in appropriate ways, and don't make any loud, dangerous movements or sounds that would alert us, but instead relax our brains. Okay. Brain Tingles, the book by Dr. Craig Richard. No one is sure why it happens, but it does. Thank you for shining on today. Can we get together? I hope to see you Monday, October 15th at our Circle of Support at Mariondale and Ossining. Come and share what's going on and let's move in the direction you want to move in. Magic happens in the circle. And the Mamma Mia dance is the Friday before that. Friday, October 12th, we're going to have an 80s dance in Verplank. Going to have some fun. Oh, one more date. Heart Library in Shrub Oak. A shine on talk. A shine on talk. It's going to make you feel good. Sunday, October 21st. KCKACEY.co has everything you need. Our thought for the day is from Swami Vivekananda, who said, Take up one idea. Make that one idea your life. Think of it. Dream of it. Live on that idea. Let the brain, muscles, nerves, every part of your body be full of that idea. And just leave every other idea alone. This is the way to success. Here's an idea. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.